Let's read verses 15 through 21. A short text, but packed full of truth today. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The title of the message is this, Walking Carefully in an Evil Day. They say that, that the average person takes approximately three to 4,000 steps per day. I think, I think most of us probably take more than that, but the average person, especially if you have an eye watch and you go like this all day just to get your steps, then you take a lot of steps. That's what I do. But, but if, you, if you honestly take three or 4,000 steps per day, then you're walking what is equivalent to, they say, about a mile or a mile and a half per day, depending on how fast you walk. And, and, and most of the time we can walk, put one foot in front of the other uh, without really giving it much thought. But, but there are certain conditions that cause us to walk more carefully in the midst of those three or four thousand steps. Uh, like, like when it's icy outside, we're going to walk with more caution. Um, I'm glad I missed uh, the snow this last weekend. I went up north and it was warmer there than it was here. So I was gone for a good weekend. When you've been injured, you're walking in a boot or, or you're walking on crutches, you've you got to walk with more caution. When you're wearing high heels, I wouldn't know, but <laughs> ladies have told me high heels are tough to walk in. When you're wearing a new pair of tennis shoes, man, I remember when I, when I got my first pair of Jordans in high school, man, I walked carefully. I didn't want to get any mud or dirt on those things. I play golf often and often I hit it off the fairway into the rough. And, and if the rough is tall, I know that there's a potential for snakes in there. And I only think that a good snake's a dead snake. And so I'm going to walk very carefully through those weeds. When you finally get your infant to fall asleep or your toddler to fall asleep for your nap, you're going to walk out very gingerly, very quietly so that you don't startle them. When it comes to walking, here, here's what I found to be true. The more challenging the conditions, the greater the need for caution. Now, now, this is the idea that Paul had when he wrote the imperative at the top of verse 15 to walk circumspectly. Circumspectly isn't a word we use today, is it? But it, it, it's, it's a word formed from, from a compound of two different words. The first word being circumference, which is like the perimeter of a circle, the idea of surrounding something. Then, it, then it's taken from the word spectacles, like these things right here. And by the way, you can buy some of these at a new place called Squints. You might have heard of that. My sister and brother-in-law are opening a business where they sell spectacles. And uh, they paid me $5 to make that free commercial. It opens up, I think, next Friday or something like that. Um, so you help yourself. Bless that business. Anyway, it's taken from circumference and spectacles. The idea of circumspectly based on those two words is this, looking around. So if you're walking and you're looking around, then that means your head's kind of on a swivel. You're aware of your surroundings. You're, you're, you're very careful with every step you take. Paul is telling us, walk carefully. Now why? 
Why with every step do we need to be looking around? Do we, do we need to have our attention fixed on our surroundings and be very, very careful why? Well, look at the end of verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Paul says we live in an evil day. Would you agree with that? We do. But what, what does he mean by that? Let's get more specific about the evil of our day. Turn a page over to your right in chapter 6. This same exact word, evil, is used again in chapter 6. And it offers us more specific detail into what this might look like. Look at verse 16. It's translated as the word wicked in this verse. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, or of the evil one. The idea here is that the world and the flesh and the devil are combining their forces every day against the saved believers, the children of God. And Paul uses the analogy of shooting these darts or these arrows of wickedness and, and evil influence at us every day. And Paul's saying, you, you are walking through a battleground. As a child of God, where, where, where there, there are snipers on, on all sides of you, and they are made up of, of the devil's armies, principalities and powers, wickedness in high places, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they are out to hit you and to get you and to deceive you and to bully you and to rule your life. And that's why Paul says you have to walk carefully because the conditions in which we live as believers are so challenging today. We need to walk with a greater sense of caution. What does that look like? And how do we accomplish that? That's what Paul answers in the text. Four ways to walk carefully in an evil day. Number one, behave wisely. That's how you walk carefully. You reject foolishness and you embrace wisdom. Look at verse 15. So then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now consider how foolish people walk. They walk carelessly. They walk recklessly. They walk irresponsibly. They walk selfishly. They walk independently. And then, then consider the flip side of that coin. How do wise people walk? Prudently, uh, patiently. Carefully, intentionally. Here's how this plays out. You face decisions every single day of your life, don't you? With every step you take, with every decision that you make, here's what it looks like to walk circumspectly by behaving wisely. You stop before you take that step. You stop before you make that decision. And you simply ask yourself this question. Is this wise or is this foolish? No, no, that's, that's what it looks like. You take the time. Before every step and every decision to consider whether it's wise or foolish. Let's just get practical. Before you make that purchase on Amazon. I mean, Black Friday is coming up and it just gets earlier and earlier every year, doesn't it? And sometimes we can make purchases that, quite frankly, we don't have money to make. Somebody say amen. If you don't have money to make purchases, you shouldn't make the purchases. That qualifies as foolish. Go read the book of Proverbs. He teaches us that. Ask yourself before I make this purchase, is it wise or foolish? Before you, you say what you feel like saying to your spouse or to your children, ask yourself, is this wise or foolish? Before you go out with a certain group of people on the weekend, before you start dating that individual, ask yourself, is this wise or is this foolish? Before you put that beverage or that substance in your body, ask yourself, is this wise or is this foolish? Before you make that social media post, Ask yourself, please ask, please ask yourself, is this wise or is this foolish? 
Consider all the heartache you will save yourself if before every major step of life that you take, you stop long enough and walk circumspectly enough to consider, is this wise or foolish? My goodness. Foolish people, they don't take time to ask themselves that question. They're impulsive. They say what they want to say when they want to say it. They post what they want to post when they want to post it. They spend what they want to spend when they want to spend it. They date who they want to date, go out with what they put, whatever they want in their body. They're foolish. They're impulsive. If you are wise, then you are going to walk carefully in an evil day by asking yourself, is this what a wise person would do? Notice, secondly, to walk carefully, you need to make the most of every opportunity. Very familiar verse in verse 16, redeeming the time. So Paul says, redeeming the time. I I found this very interesting that, that the word redeem was used in this day to refer to what a merchant would do when they saw an opportunity to make a profit. When they would be selling uh, clay jars or, 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 or jewelry of some sort or whatever, when they saw that, that, that the window of time would be small to, to make this profit from this customer, they capitalized on that opportunity. They made the most of that time. Now, now it's no different today. We, we have used car salesmen which I don't think are bad people. We have some in our church. They're great, great, great people. Most of them, just like lawyers, they're, they're, most of them are great. But, but there are times, if you're a good car salesman, then your, your head's going to be on a swivel. You're, you're going to be circumspect. You're, you're going to be very careful. You're going to be using your spectacles to be able to notice just when that small window of opportunity is there. And you know how a car salesman notices when they hear you say certain things or hear you bite the bait on certain offers. And they see that, that, that what is welling up inside of you is this inner belief that this deal will never, ever come your way again. And when they see that, that's when they seize the opportunity. That's when they redeem the time because that time is very small. That's why they don't want you to leave in their property. They want you making a commitment. And here's what Paul's telling us. Make the most of your time because the opportunities that God gives you, they are often in these small windows of time. They come and they go. Think about it. You'll you'll have opportunities this week to share your faith. And those opportunities, watch, they will come and they'll go. They won't linger most of the time. They'll be in the everyday, ordinary transactions of life. You will have an opportunity perhaps to, to share your faith with your waiter or your waitress at the restaurant you eat at this weekend as you interact. You will have an opportunity when you go and check out your groceries. If you, if you don't do the grocery pickup thing then, then, and you actually shop like we used to shop, then, then you'll have an opportunity with maybe the person that is checking out your groceries. Uh, you'll have an opportunity to, to share the gospel um, maybe as you're sitting beside another parent and you're waiting for your kid to be dismissed from their ball practice. See, these ordinary transactions of life in these conversations, maybe something at work will be brought up about God or church or the Bible, and you'll be able to kind of insert your opinion there. Are you listening to me? These opportunities, they don't stay. Maybe you'll have a customer that, 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 that interjects their thoughts about faith or about the election or about the, 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 what the pandemic's doing to our country, and you'll find that as an open opportunity to have a gospel conversation saying, my faith's not in an election. My faith's not in the health of our country. My faith is in God the Father, the King of kings, who never abandons his throne. Somebody say amen. amen. And you might not say it with that much energy and punch, but be nice, but, but you know, you have those opportunities. They come and they they go. You'll have an opportunity, shameless plug, on November the 8th at 1.30 to share your faith. 
We're going to be having a church-wide outreach day in place of our evening service where we all meet in here at 1.30 uh, on November 8th, next Sunday. And then, and then I'm going to challenge you with about a 10-minute devotion and hold me to that. It'll be short. And we'll, we'll sing a song or two and then, and then we'll leave. We'll grab a map and you don't have to go knock on a door. You just got to grab a map. It gives about two or three blocks and you go and you put an open house invite in every door. That's an opportunity, by the way. That's not just, oh, I guess I better do it because I'll be made to feel guilty. That is an opportunity. We live in a country that lets us do that. In a city that welcomes that. Man, there are lost people in our community that, that they might get saved because you seized the time. You redeemed the time to put an invitation on their door next Sunday afternoon. That's good. We have liberal love campaigns that you can get involved in. All kinds of things where you have opportunities. You've got to be careful about that. Here's something we seldom think about. Did you know that suffering provides an opportunity to redeem the time? See, we hate pain. We hate inconvenience. We hate discomfort. We hate strained finances and strained relationships and a strained life. We hate all of that. But don't you know that, that pain is the avenue through which God strengthens our faith? And so that means suffering is an opportunity. Suffering is an opportunity that we should redeem the time of so that we can grow and love God more and love people more and love the gift of life more. Seize that opportunity. Lean into the lessons God's trying to teach you. Don't waste a trial. Don't waste a storm. Don't waste a pain. Don't waste strained finances. Don't waste an illness. Don't waste a death. Take advantage of those times because God is using those to grow you. Yeah. So redeem the time. Let me give you a third way that, that, that we can walk circumspectly. To walk carefully, you need to understand God's word. You need to understand God's word. Look at verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Study with me for a moment. The first phrase means, be ye not unwise. That's what it says, but, but it was originally written in a tense that, that implies that it is a pro progressive process. So the implication is clear. Paul is telling us that it's possible for us to progressively, not overnight, but over time, become unwise people. Become foolish people. Now that makes sense because the context in which he was writing is that this is an evil day. And this, the day in which we live, the world and the culture in which we live is becoming progressively evil. You've already agreed with me on that. And if we're not careful, here's what will happen for us as gospel preaching, teaching, believing Christians. We will become progressively evil with it. Over time, not overnight. It never happens overnight in a Christian's life. It's a slow fade. Over time you will become progressively evil or foolish and you will start looking more like the culture in which you live than the God who saved you. Now, come on, this isn't a foreign idea. Christians who once lived holy, separated lives from the lost world around them are now blending in. No, their li lifestyles are no different. There are Christian teenagers who foolishly cheat on their tests like lost teenagers do. And there are Christian college students who foolishly party on the weekends like lost college students do and then show up to church like it's no big deal. There are Christian couples, married couples, that foolishly fight nonstop like lost couples do. There are Christian men who are passively uh, leading their families spiritually just like lost men passively lead their families. There are Christian employees who respond to stressful, stressful situations with a lack of compassion and a lack of composure, just like their lost co-workers. And this hasn't happened overnight. It's happened over time as Christians have progressively become unwise and lowered our standards of living as our culture has lowered their standards of living. Are you with me? 
That's what the second half of the book of Ephesians is all about. I'm not being legalistic. I'm not condemning you or even accusing you. I'm probing you today to evaluate your life and see if it's any different than the lost world around you. I'm probing you to admit that it is your propensity and it's certainly my propensity because I know myself, if I'm not careful, then I will progressively become foolish. I just will. I'll become a foolish husband and I'll become a foolish father and I'll foolishly reject my private time with God every day and, and I'll become spiritually anemic over time and I'll start making impulsive, foolish choices. How do we keep that from happening? Well, Paul says, you understand what the will of the Lord is. What does he mean by that? Well, he's not talking about understanding what car to buy and what career to choose and what house to purchase. He's he's referring to the general revealed will of God. Where is that found? In the Bible. And here's what Paul's saying. The more you understand God's word, the more you live out God's will the less unwise that you become. No, it's true. Sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. No, I got a a Bible from graduating our Christian school. We usually give our seniors in high school upon their graduation a a brand new Bible. Then I had written in that Bible this quote. It was written in there for me. Sin will keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. And that's not just a cute phrase. Uh, David confirms that in Psalms 119 when he said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Do you see that connection? You hide God's word in your heart and you sin less. He wrote, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. He also wrote, Through thy precepts, thy word, I get understanding. And because I get understanding, therefore, he says, I hate every false way. Listen, your only hope of becoming wise and more wise and staying wise in the midst of such a foolish and evil world is to get yourself in God's word over and over and over and over. It starts at 945. Our church services actually start at 945 on Sunday morning. Not 1045, start at 945. Fellowship Bible classes and Sunday schools for all ages, nurseries are open. You ought to be there. That is an opportunity with your life stage to get some more of God's word. Come in here at 1045, get some more of God's word. Come back at six o'clock tonight, get some more of God's word. Come back Wednesday at seven o'clock, get some more of God's word. And then in between every one of those spiritual meals, you ought to have a little, little snack on your own every day for 15, 20, 25, 30 minutes. You ought to be getting in God's word every single day. I'm talking about a daily commitment, a relationship with God's word is our only hope, our only hope of not messing up really bad in the world in which we live. Friend, listen. You'll start missing church slowly. You'll start missing your Bible reading slowly. And you will slowly, it is so subtle you won't even know it's happening. You will slowly become foolish. I've seen it over and over and over and over. I've been here for 15 years and I've seen it over and over and over. Christians do not get picked off by the devil in one night. It is a slow abandonment of this book. They come to church less They read it less. Paul said, book of Hebrews, we need this and the assembling of ourselves together more and more as we see the day approaching. The more evil our world gets, the more we need this, not less. Why are we having church less when we live in a more evil world? Help me, help me. Where's the logic to that, friend? I'll tell you why, because we have gotten progressively more busy. 
None of this is in my notes, but we need this. We have got progressively more busy and we become workaholics in our country. And we, have, we, we, we love the almighty dollar. And so we have overtime and, and we, have, we, 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 we volunteer for extra shifts and we run ourselves ragged to where every church service, there's this, there's this literal wrestling match on the inside. Your body's screaming at you, you're too tired to go to church. And God is whispering to you, you need church. And the truth is, we wouldn't have that struggle as much if we prioritized rightly during a week. We, we, we overuse our margin of time. And so when it comes to Sunday night, we know we have Monday morning at 7 o'clock coming very early and Sunday night church is too hard. Hello, I'm looking through my spectacles right now. No, it's the truth. I, I'm kindly trying to tell you, if you progressively become unwise, then you ought to progressively increase your intake of the word. That is the only way. The only way. I love you. I love you. That's why I'm just being straight with you. I love you. The more evil our day gets, the more we need God's word. Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the fourth thing. And the last, by the way, to walk carefully, you need to be influenced by the spirit. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. Now to be drunk with alcohol simply means that you're under the influence of alcohol. I could say on the authority of God's word, if you are a saved believer, if you've understood the gospel and it's changed your life, listen, I say it kindly, but you have no business being under the influence of alcohol. Instead, Paul says, be under the influence or the controlling force of the Holy Spirit. So resist alcohol. And generally, that, that, that's kind of a general topic for really a, a more specific theme. Just resist all evil. Resist anything that opposes the Spirit's work in your life and submit to His influence. Be under His influence in your life. Now, I need to explain this carefully so that we don't mix this up. When it comes to receiving the Spirit in your life, listen closely. Doctrinally, here's what we believe the Bible teaches. You receive all the Spirit that you're ever going to get right at the moment of salvation. You're full of it. The Spirit, that is. When you get saved. I got to get back to my notes. All right, you're full of the Spirit. I don't believe the Bible teaches that somewhere later down in salvation that we are later baptized into an extra portion of the Spirit by, 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 an, by an exterior experience. I don't believe the Bible teaches in any way, shape, or form that we behave in certain measures in order to get the Spirit in greater measures. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. So, so if being filled with the Spirit is not to do with having more of the Spirit, here's what it has to do with. The Spirit getting more of you. Being filled with the Spirit has everything to do with how much you allow the Spirit to influence your life. Amen. Paul's telling us that if we, if we even have a chance to survive in the evil of our day, it's only going to be because we have placed ourselves under the influence and the controlling power of the Spirit of God. But he doesn't just leave us with this just general theory of being filled with the Spirit. And I think that's where a lot, of, a lot of Christians get confused. And so they pray this prayer, God, fill me with thy Spirit. I don't think that's a bad prayer. I don't think you're wrong praying that. I just think that we misunderstand sometimes what it means to be filled with the Spirit because God's already filled you with the Spirit. You got it. If you're saved, if you're not saved, you don't got it. 
But if you've been regenerated by the Spirit, you've got all of it you ever get. You need to say, God, give me strength to yield to the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to surrender to the Spirit. And then Paul gives us three ways in which we can place ourselves under the influence of the Spirit in greater measures. Three corporate activities, singing, giving thanks, and mutually submitting to one another. Look at your copy of God's Word. He starts with singing, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So, so here, here's what Paul's saying. He, he's given us three corporate activities that we can do as a church, as a community of believers. Here's generally what he's getting across, and I want to get more specific. He's generally telling us this, that you will be influenced by the Spirit of God in greater measure as you gather together with other believers and participate in a meaningful way in singing songs, giving thanks, and mutual submission. Did that make any sense? Okay, so, so, so when we come together as a church and you actually participate in a meaningful way in the singing, then you place yourself under the influence of the Spirit in a greater measure. Now, I'm not talking about mere emotionalism. I'm not talking about singing empty lyrics a bunch of times as loud as we can until we feel better about ourselves. True worship has less to do with us and more to do with God. I'm talking about singing spiritual songs in which we usher our mind into greater thoughts about God, not ourselves. And Paul says, as you do this, you are, you are giving the Spirit of God a, a really, really good chance to control you and fill you and influence you. If you say, well, I, I'm not, I, I can't buy in to that. Well, well, think about it. When you come into church distracted, and I have, you come to church under the influence of stress, and I have, the moment you, you put those things aside and you choose, because it is going to be a choice, you choose to start singing with your church family, it's amazing, at least to me, how the Spirit can influence your thinking and give you a measure of peace that you didn't have prior to coming to church. You can come to church under the influence of your flesh where you're angry and you're bitter and you're just altogether grumpy. But the moment you choose to sing songs with your church, and I mean participate in a meaningful way, it's amazing how the Spirit can influence your attitude and give you a measure of grace and love and joy. You can come into God's house sad and depressed and disappointed, but you can start singing, and it's amazing how those tears of sadness turn into tears of hope. That's the power of the Spirit through music, my friend. That's why I argue that, 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 that corporate singing is not filler time. It's not. It's not, it's not just a tradition of the church. All right, this happened in the early churches. It happened with Jesus' first church. Remember that? We call it the Lord's Supper. What did he do before he dismissed those, those men, his first church? What did he do? They sang a hymn. Singing together in church is a big, big deal, and you ought to give your best. He says you can be under the influence of the Spirit when you're giving thanks. Giving thanks. We're talking about coming into church with a spirit of thanksgiving. And you don't just give thanks by singing. Do you know that giving your tithe and your offering every week is a way of telling God thank you? You know that giving your best and your ministry involvement is a way of God telling, telling God thank you? You know when you're in your fellowship Bible class at 945 and, and your leader says, do we have any praises or prayer requests? When, when you give a praise and a blessing in your life, that is giving thanks. During an invitation time, which we have at the end of every preaching service, you can come kneel at an altar and say thank you to God. You can find somebody you appreciate in your church family and tell them thank you. November the 22nd on Sunday night, we're having a night of praise. This is an incredible. If you weren't here last year for the night of praise, you really missed out. 
You need to mark this in your calendar. It is an incredible way as a church we come and give praise and thanks to our God through music. We have corporate scripture reading. We have corporate prayer. We have the choir singing a lot of songs, other special music. We have corporate worship. Everybody sings together. It's a night designated solely to praise. And so if preaching's not your thing, this will be your thing. Preaching should be your thing. But if preaching's not your thing, you'll like this. You like the music around here? You'll come and you won't just be able to spectate. You'll be asked to participate. And it is a way of giving thanks on that night. It can be incredible. Then he says that, that not just giving thanks and singing, but mutually submitting. That's an attitude of deference toward one another in the body of Christ. That's an attitude where it's you before me. That's an attitude where we come to church and those we serve alongside with, those we go to church with, it's not about us getting our way. It's about helping them get their way. It's about letting God have his way. And when you come to church with that kind of spirit and you participate in corporate worship with that kind of attitude, the Holy Spirit loves to reside in great measures with that kind of church. Now, here's the greater point of the section. If you want to be influenced by the Spirit of God in a greater way, which is so crucial to walking carefully in a very evil day, watch. You need to come to church ready to sing. You need to come to church ready to give thanks. You need to come to church with an attitude of mutual submission. You, listen church member, you need to contribute to making this place an environment where the Holy Spirit has liberty to influence in great measure. And the opposite is true as well. You need to refrain from any kind of behavior that would grieve the Spirit's influence. Hello. That means that if, that, that if singing invites his influence, not singing, it resists his influence. That's a big deal when you don't sing. If giving thanks invites his influence, then coming to church and complaining repels his influence. If having a spirit of submission invites his influence, then having a spirit of strife and pride repels his influence. Did you know, did you know that church members can come, refuse to participate in those activities and actually hurt a church service? And we will never know who it was. I'm not concerned with who it was because it's all internal. Did you know that if you come to church and you don't have this spirit and, and, and a will, willing, willing participation in these activities that you are threatening the influence of the Spirit of God in greater measures. So I'm urging you, when the first note is striked up and you're asked to stand, do so in a meaningful way and sing it out. Man, you are inviting the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and the lives of those around you. Come with the spirit of thanksgiving. There's a lot to be said about the things we don't do right here. I know that. But when you gather to worship, focus on what we do right. Focus, focus on the good things that, that God uses this church to accomplish in your life and the life of this community. And then mutually submit to one another. Don't live in strife with fellow believers. Man, that quenches the spirit. So let's review. To walk carefully in an evil day, you need to walk wisely. What does that mean? Be cautious. Cautious enough before every decision to ask yourself, is this the wise thing or the foolish thing to do? Number two, make the most of every opportunity. Constantly be looking for the, for, for the small windows of time that God's going to give you today, that God's going to give you tomorrow, to make a difference and do it. Understand the Word of God. Immerse yourself in this book and you'll live it out. And then be under the influence of the Spirit in the greatest measure possible. Resist the influence of alcohol. Resist the influence of anything like it that resists the Spirit's work in your life 
and be influenced by the Spirit. My wife and I recently, and Kevin, recently moved uh, to a part of town on a street. You, you, you might know the uh, North Lilac, or I don't know if it's North Lilac, but Lilac um, it has this curve on it. We live right on that curve behind the bowling alley. And, and I didn't realize this, but people go really fast down that street. And a lot of people drive down that street. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if they're speeding. I just think maybe they're going 30 miles an hour around the corner. It makes it look like they're going 60. And, uh, and so Kevin loves to ride his bike. And, and part of our motivation for moving over there is because it's a block from Grammy and Papa's house and a block from Auntie and Unc's house. And Kevin's very close to both. And we like to send him there as much as possible. <laughs> and so he gets on his bike. I, I learned real quick, this isn't South Grant. This isn't tucked away on the south part of town by a field where hardly anybody drives. This is lilac people. That's like a, a, a main thorough street, it feels like. And people fly around there. And so I realized this real quick. The, the, the more dangerous the conditions, the greater the need of caution. So you know what I did? I, 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 I had him get in his bike, and then I got in my truck, I rolled down my window, and I coached him from our house to Grammy and Papa's house. I coached him exactly where to, where to ride, exactly where to stop, where to get off his bike and walk his bike across and get back on. I know I, I'm maybe hovering a little bit, but I don't want the kid to get ran over. I only got one. You know what I mean? If you got like four or five, you can spare one. I can't spare one. <laughs> And you probably know which one you could spare if you had a choice. <laughs> I can't spare one. And then I take him from Papa and Grammy's and I, I usher him over to, to Auntie Nunks, tell him where to go. Then, then I take him from Auntie Nunks and, 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 and I take him back to our house and, and I've got to say, no, stop. Get on this side of the road. You're on the wrong side. There's a sidewalk there, so get on it. And I'm just coaching with passion. I'm, I'm essentially just telling them this. Walk circumspectly. Ride circumspectly. Have your head on a swivel, son. Get your head up. Because you live in a really busy, dangerous street. And I feel like as a pastor, God wanted me to tell you today, walk careful. I wish I could, I wish I could get in my truck and ride alongside of you to work tomorrow. And say, don't say that. Wish I could sit beside you at your at your recliner when you have your phone in your hand. Don't post that. No. Stop. Don't spin that. I wish I could, but I can't. But here's what you have. You have the Holy Spirit. And he's a much better coach than I am. Not as loud, but as clear. And you follow the Holy Spirit this week and you walk circumspectly because we live in an evil day. And I love you too much to let you get ran over. Be careful. Stand to your feet, every head bowed and every eye closed.